Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. This is Asian Pop Nation, your resident Asian music and culture show right here on Sin. I am your EP, Jesse, and I will be running the show, I guess. Um, tonight's show will be a tiny bit different as we are bringing back our much-beloved member mixtape. Now, before I get into some of the details about how this member mixtape is going to work, I want to draw your attention to the track that we just heard, which is called The Sixth Summer by Plave, who is an AI boy group. So basically, the members themselves are real humans, but they are represented by virtual avatars instead of actual people, um, which is pretty cool and interesting. And this group is relatively new, so they don't have much of a discography yet. Um, but so far, their tracks have been very bright and poppy, and this track is uh, no different. It features a lot of like train sound effects, which is really cool. And so I've been listening to it a lot while I've been commuting to and fro, and it's been very vibey. So I thought it would be a very cool track to start off the show tonight. Um, but speaking of the show, I did mention that we were doing a member mixtape again. So for those of you who don't know how our member mixtapes work, um, so basically each member of APN will choose a collection of tracks that they would like to play, and they will each have their own segment to talk about the tracks they chose or any other topics of interest that they've been, um, interested in recently. And so you guys will get to know a little bit more about our APN members through the songs that they choose and the topics that they choose to talk about. Um, but aside from our member mixtape, we will also be featuring an interview with Rainbow Chan, who is an Asian Australian artist currently based in Melbourne. And she has recently released her newest single, The Seven Sisters, and announced her upcoming album and theatrical debut. So you'll be hearing a bit more about that all that. Um, as Tracy and Thuriki to talk to her. Um, but yeah, I will be kicking off the member mixtape with my own collection of tracks that I chose. Um, and I guess the first two will be um, tracks from sh- shows and things I've been listening and consuming. I don't know how to really categorize it, just things that I've been listening to. Um, but the first track is... Vortex by Baisa Jaws. And this song is actually the opening song of Link Click Season 2, which is a Chinese donghua. It is a time travel based donghua and it is very, very gripping. Um, I've been waiting every week for the episodes to release um, at the edge of my seat all the time. Um, but also, fun fact about this song and also the MV that comes with it is that about halfway through the song, it kind of switches and um, the song lyrics themselves seems to become gibberish, and but actually it the it's actually been reversed. So the MV and the song itself has been reversed. Um, so if you were to play this entire song in reverse, uh, it would still make sense. Like the lyrics would still make sense, and the MV would still make sense, which is actually pretty damn epic. Um, but then also it is, it is very fitting with the time travel theme because the whole reversing of time and reversing of events is very much what the Link Click Donghua is about. It's about the consequences of making changes in by going back to the past and all that kind of stuff. And it is also nearing, I think, the end of the second season. There's only like one or two episodes left to come out. So I'm very excited for the big finale and... Yeah, I thought it'd be a very fun track to put on here and not really something that we see very often um, with the whole reversing thing. So, yeah. Uh, the next track that I would like to play is a song called Tsuwo by Xiao Shi Guniang. 
And this song is actually also the opening sequence of the Heaven Officials Blessing audio drama. Um, so for those of you who don't know what Chinese audio dramas are, they are literally uh, stories and worlds crafted purely through audio soundscapes. And it's really cool. It's nothing like the audio books that you guys might hear about. And I'm pretty sure in the last member mixtape, I also went down some of the audio dramas that I really liked. Um, but yeah, this Heaven Officials Blessings one is really been long awaited and it's finally out and it's been very good and very exciting. Um, so I thought the song, it's putting the theme song would be very fitting uh, for what I've been into recently. And the lyrics of the song itself is actually really beautiful and really describes the story of the characters, the relationships and like um, the depth of like, it's hard to explain without actually spoiling everything. And even while spoiling everything, I would probably go over the time limit. So I will just say that it the lyrics are very much the picture of devotion. And it is very heartwarming, but also very sad. Um, but yeah, it is a very nice song. And I hope you guys do enjoy that one as well. The final song that I wanted to put on the playlist for this week is not a song from any anime or show or audio drama thank God, um, but it is a recent release by Stray Kids featuring Lisa, and it is called Social Path. So this is a Japanese song that is a collab between the K-pop boy group um, Stray Kids and the Japanese artist Lisa, who you may also know for like creating a lot of the iconic anime opening tracks. I know she did one for Demon Slayer, and off the top of my head, I can't think of what else she did, but she did do a lot, and, she, and her like um, voice and her music is very much characteristic of a lot of anime opening style music if that makes sense so this collab was really interesting and it, the song itself is a very like rocky like a rock vibe um but interestingly enough despite it being like a japanese release most of the lyrics are in english which is interesting uh, but regardless this song is really cool so i totally recommend that you guys listen to it and if you guys tune in you guys will be forced to listen to it so please enjoy but aside from me, you'll also be hearing the song picks from our other members of APN, including Xenia, Tracy, Alicia, and Taruki. So before we jump right into the Rainbow Chan interview, you will be hearing the collection of tracks that I just mentioned, starting off with Vortex by Baisha Jaws. Hello, you're listening to Asian Pop Nation with me, Tracy. I'm joined here by Faruqi and a very special guest who is here with us today. She's a multidisciplinary artist, a pop musician, a visual artist, a producer, a performer, a composer, and even a teacher. Next month, she'll be debuting a solo show in Sydney called The Bridal Lament, and she's just released a new single called Seven Sisters. We've got Rainbow Chan in the building. Woo! <laughs> hello, hello. Hi Rainbow. Uh, yeah, it's been a chaotic start to the proceedings, but it's good to have <laughs> you here. Do you want to give? I'm like very a... glad to be here. That's good to hear. That's good. Even after all that, do you want to just give an intro to yourself to the listeners who might not be familiar with you? I am Rainbow Chan, and I'm now based in Nam, but was originally from Hong Kong and Sydney. Um, I am a producer and a singer and a visual artist as well. Um, the things I like to explore are topics around identity and diaspora experiences, as well as imperfect translations. Oh, hell yeah. These are all definitely things we want to get deep into 
in this interview. But first, I think it might be good to just talk a bit about the start of your career and also just like you as a person, um, your life story so far. So sure. you were you were born in Hong Kong. You migrated to Sydney when you were six. And you've mentioned before in interviews that your parents used to run a fashion boutique in Hong Kong. Um, and that just strikes me as something that would have been really fascinating to observe as a young child. Um, what are your memories of that place? Actually, by the time I was born, they had finished the fashion boutique. My my dad was uh, doing something else. He was actually designing sunglasses. And my mom oh. was a, a florist and also a housewife because by then she had four kids. I'm the third one. And then my younger sister is the fourth. And we're really close together in age. So four kids. Um, but what I do remember are these um, like jeans, lots of jeans and little trinkets from the shop that they used to own. And they talk about that time really fondly as well, because I think they were, you know, they were young and they had a lot of energy and they were so excited about having this little shop. But for most of my life, they ran a Chinese restaurant when we moved to Australia. And so that's kind of the role that I have seen them take on from when I was a kid. That's a pretty common thing for a lot of parents who end up migrating to Australia or America in like the motherland, they're like architects or designers, and then they start a restaurant when they move to the new country. But everything I hear about your parents, you've mentioned them in past interviews before, everything I hear about them just like reaffirms to me that like they're the coolest Asian parents to ever live. And especially like how (laughs) supportive they are of you is like really, really, really sweet. Yeah, they are really sweet, but I think it was also a process for them too. So Mm -hmm. as I mentioned, I'm the second youngest in a family of four girls. My elder sister definitely had it the toughest. My parents had more of a strict upbringing for them. Like as the kids were more and more, I guess you could say, westernized with quotation marks. um, I guess mum and dad had to soften a bit too and adjust to the way that we were changing and our values and their values were not aligning anymore. So it's been a long process of us negotiating a lot of things, but I'm really chuffed that we have a really great relationship now and that I can also include them in a lot of my works now. That actually makes a lot of sense because I'm the first child and <laughs> my brother You would understand the pressures. <laughs> yeah, my brother has it a lot easier than I do. But even then, your parents sound quite Western um, because you mentioned before that your, well, your mum is obviously into a lot of really great Asian artists like Theresa Tang. Your dad was always into like Western pop, like Elvis. I think maybe also in that period in Hong Kong, you know, they had to learn English at school and my dad really loved learning English at school. And he, I think it was because he lo- he really liked Western music. And so yeah, yeah. being able to understand the meaning of the songs um and i think he also liked the aesthetics as well i've seen pictures of him with like kind of beatles haircut with like flares oh, and stuff and sometimes with a perm yes. um so i think that was my dad's way of connecting to this music and culture through acquiring the english language and yeah just that's his self-expression You mentioned in past interviews that when you moved to Sydney, when you were six years old, you bought a big box of music from the motherland. And I'm just really, really curious, what was in that box of stuff that you brought from Hong Kong to Sydney in 1996? My treasure box. Um, there was some Sailor Moon on there. Oh, there hell was yeah. um, <laughs> there was um, Aaron Kwok, who is a one of the four heavenly kings of canto pop in the '90s. Still going strong. He's almost sixty yes. and still popping and locking on stage. I don't know how he does it. 
um, and like Sammy Chang. I think there was Dragon Ball Z in there as well. Back then, because we didn't have the internet, that was our only way of like physically having these objects, uh, these tapes to take a bit of our past lives into the new land. You know, now we have like, we can stream anything with a click of a button and it's so easy to access information. But when I was six years old, I watched those things over and over again, listened to those cassette tapes over and over again until the tape like ran clear almost or like became like really grainy because there was no other way. So I think there is this thing about my work, which is a reflection of that nostalgia or that distance, which we don't really have anymore. Um, And I use it as a way to interrogate um, notions of time and place. You've said before that your whole practice is based around nostalgic yearning. And it makes a lot of sense if you're like a kid who's grown up and you've been sort of ripped away from the motherland and transplanted into Sydney and the only things you have to remind you are these like very physical worn down objects that makes a lot of sense that your whole practice has come to revolve around like nostalgia and retro Cantonese aesthetics. Yeah it's like stuck in a time capsule or something in a way. Although at the beginning something that's really interesting about you as a pop artist obviously you've been doing this for like 10 years And at the beginning, you've mentioned before that your music wasn't really influenced by Asian artists that much at all, but in part due to like the way people sort of saw you as an Asian artist in Australia, your work has come to become more Asian over the years. That's right. I think when I was initially writing music, um, Mm -hmm. I didn't really think about how people would perceive me. You know, I was writing from the heart in many ways and I didn't necessarily see myself as a racialized person. I mean, I had experienced a little bit of bullying and, you know, racist remarks here and there, but in a way I kind of grew up fitting in in many ways. And so when I first released music and my influences were not overtly Asian artists maybe you yeah. know they're always in the background but I, I was listening a lot to um like Missy Higgins and Delta Goodrum and oh Sir wow Blasco. Australians yeah Australians that's right <laughs> at one point I even sang with a really strong Aussie accent oh, oh wow. my goodness so when I was performing I didn't really think about myself as being a racialized person mm-hmm. but then inevitably people start talking about me as an Asian artist, as someone who was seeing Asian music. At first it was really confronting because I guess I had to navigate that territory of being, oh yeah, okay, I have a body. People are going to see me a certain way (laughs) and people are going to assume certain things about me. But rather than losing my agency, I think I then started to turn it around a little bit and, and investigate my identity and my culture on my own terms and set up the rules myself and then actually lead the conversation so that people would, you know, I hope people listen and ask questions instead of making assumptions. I think that the sort of conversation where you realize like, oh, you know, whatever I do as like an Asian person and as a diasporic person, I'm always going to perceive like first and foremost as like an Asian woman before I'm perceived as myself. I think that's a realization that everyone has at some point. As yeah. And inversely, if I perform in Hong Kong or in mm. Asia, then they see me as a westernized yes. Asian. And yeah. so when you're a third culture kid or you're 
growing up between cultures, you're always going to be sort of pigeonholed as the minority of whatever situation you are or as the difference or as the outlier. I mean, I feel like having this experience has, while it's challenging, it's also really enriching because it makes mm. you realise that don't take things for granted and you should really um, question things and get to know the world a bit more through a deconstructed lens. And I think it also helps people to connect who are in similar situations of sort of not belonging. Yeah, definitely. That was my next question. Like, how are you? What's it like when you promote overseas? And you like already touched on that, which is like perfect. <laughs> I was like, do they ask questions about kangaroos? Or, like, they probably do. They see you as coming from this yeah. Western pop tradition. Yeah, like, she's the next Delta Goodrum. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I think because I'm quite freckly, I've got little freckles. Right. And um, so people often think that I'm not Chinese or, um, huh. you know, they, they, they have other ideas of maybe my background. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just, it's always interesting to navigate these conversations. And I think people mean well, but um, I think now it's at a point where um, I feel lucky because my music can sometimes transcend these sort of conversations too, especially if it's like non-vocal music or if it's yeah, like dance yeah. music. So I'm playing out in a club and everyone is sort of united through the beat um yeah, and, yeah and that's kind of cool yeah that's really cool and obviously um in recent years more and more a large part of your music has been your waitao heritage you've described it as like your life's work re doing research into this ethnic group who were the mm -hmm. original indigenous people of hong kong who you're descended from being your mother yeah, it is a lifelong project and it's so it's so big, it's hard to encapsulate it in, you know, a couple of couple of minutes. Yeah. But essentially my mum is of Waitao heritage and her family can be traced back to the first clan that settled in Hong Kong in the Song Dynasty and they moved from southern China. Um, and Waitao people had their own dialect and way of living for centuries, for centuries in, in the new territories and in southern China. But then now all of that is on the brink of disappearance. And my journey into reconnecting with this culture started with a conversation with my mum five years ago where I realised that because she didn't pass on her mother tongue, the Waitao mm -hmm. dialect, to her children, you know, very soon this will be lost if it's not passed on. So I asked my mum whether she could teach me a few phrases and she was like, hey, you're a musician. I think you will learn um, Waitao language a lot quicker if you learn it through music. Now she didn't know the songs herself because the songs were also passed on from generation to generation. And by mm -hmm. the time it got to her generation, women went to school and so they wouldn't learn things through songs anymore they would just go to school but my mum connected me up with a bunch of elderly waitao women in hong kong like my grandmother's generation yeah. who are like in their 80s and 90s and they're part of this community development project to try and revitalize some of the language and skills and i've been working with them for the past five years to learn songs to learn weaving techniques to learn cooking and also i tried a little bit of rice harvesting but it was so hard <laughs> i don't know how they used to do a whole field I really want to hear more about your conversations with these grannies because it's not often that you get to talk to like these people who are 80 or 90 years old and actually have proper conversations with them because you know for me personally and a lot of my friends we just don't share the language at all 
But what was it like talking with these women? I was very nervous at first because, like you said, like I don't really share the language with mm -hmm. these grannies because they speak pretty much exclusively in the dialect. And I was so surprised that on my first meeting with them, they welcomed me with open arms and put a little Waitel farming hat on my head and was like, you're one of us. And yeah. I was so touched. I was holding back tears. And even though the way we might talk to each other is a little bit broken, there's a lot that can be said without words as well. So mm -hmm. particularly in the skill sharing parts, so through the cooking and through the weaving, but at the same time, the grannies were just so generous with their stories and with their life experiences they're also really cheeky so they would like yeah, tell yeah. dirty jokes and everything it was it was great and so i've been really blessed that they have shown me just this other side to hong kong and the village lifestyle which i would have never known about before and i guess in a mutual sort of exchange way i've also helped to bring their story to a wider audience as well yes um, the community made a documentary and i helped to organize a screen of it in a arts organization in Hong Kong called Taekwun, which is one of their biggest cultural spaces. And the grannies went along to that and did a live performance and they invited their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren to the screening. And I could see the joy, you know, and how proud the community was of these women. And speaking of bringing the stories of these grannies to a wider audience, they actually appear in your new music video for your new single, Seven Sisters, don't they? They do. They are the moment that you see my character or my persona in the video clip transform into a traditional bride. You see their image looking back on at me and you know they've lived that history basically the seven sisters story is about an arranged marriage and these girls instead of marrying this husband that they've never met they they decide to throw themselves into the ocean and then become these rocks instead mm -hmm. and like these women lived these histories of of being in an arranged marriage and mm -hmm. having to cry and and say goodbye to their family and essentially be ostracized from their home and so to have them be in the video clip and honor them was really special um this rise or lament um, that was traditionally performed by the waitao women you're actually going to be translating that also into a Sole Sage performance yeah. that's going to be premiering next month in Sydney um, on October the 19th. And it's also going to be in Adelaide at the Oz Asia Festival, just a casual aside. So <laughs> I was just wondering, um, how do you translate something that's so rooted in tradition into something that's for modern audiences? It takes a lot of research and a lot mm. of thinking. And I think I feel very lucky to explore this show with a creative team as well. So I feel very supported by, you know, director and animation person and, and costume set design that all work together to create a little universe to tell this story. For me, it is my first time into theater and I'm calling it a canto popra. In many oh, ways. Hell, it's yeah. sort of like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a song cycle. So essentially, yeah, yeah. the songs that I'm singing are heavily influenced. In fact, they they all draw from these bridal laments, which were songs that women would sing before their wedding day, while they would cry as well as they would weep and cry. Literally, that's what it means in Chinese. Like hokka means to cry and marry. Yeah. And I take these traditional melodies 
and I put it through the lens of uh, you know someone working in the present a pop artist working with contemporary music with electronics with all these other things are normally used in a gig so some aspects of it is more like a traditional performance like I might do one little bit a cappella in Waitao language then it might shift into a song which is an English adaptation of those lyrics so it can reach you know a wider audience and then some of them are pop songs that sing about the world that um, these women come from. So almost like an observer and talking about the past. But in essence, like for the show, I'm embodying the voices of my ancestors, my mom, myself, and it is a collision of all these voices grappling with being a woman and, and fighting against the patriarchy, I guess. Hell yeah. <laughs> I just have a question for you. Do you have any Melbourne dates planned? I do actually. While I can't, while I can't announce the exact AP time, exclusive. <laughs> I can I can tell you that there will be a season next year in 2024 in the first half of next year. But I can't announce anything too detailed, but it is coming tonight. Yes, definitely look out for Rainbow Chan's show in the first few months of 2024. More details coming out at some point. Yes, you heard at it first here. <laughs> I actually had a question. This is just a loose question that's not connected to anything. So it comes here. But right now it's like assignment season for a lot of our listeners, a lot of people who are at uni right now. And you're someone who is extremely, extremely productive. Um, your CV, it's crazy. You are on five projects at any one time. And I was wondering, you'd be the perfect person to ask, how do you stay consistent with your productivity? Oh, this is a great question question because I'm, I'm a teacher as well at uni oh, right. so my, my students often ask me <laughs> oh. how I do it <laughs> oh my God. and this is a very boring answer really it's yeah, it yeah. is about trying to schedule every single task you have into your planner into your diary and ticking off every single task I'm, I'm literally like saying like write one paragraph and then yeah, tick yeah. that off or like look up this thing okay tick it off i think that helps to put it into digestible goals and then you feel a bit more rewarded when you get that little bit done and then so for me i feel like that makes me not procrastinate so much because i can just chip away at small goals consistently every day the other thing is exercise Again, it's not like um, mind-changing advice, but I think exercise is really important because it's good for your mental health. When you can get your exercise, your sleep, your eating well, keeping hydrated, like these basic things that a human needs to survive, that's how you can get the other things flowing. So start basic. I know sometimes when you're drowning in assignments, it's not possible to do all those things. You know, you can't go to yoga class, can't meditate and do all the other things as well, but just take it day at a time, chip away. And if you can't do anything else, at least drink some water and do some exercise. You heard it here, folks. Plan out your day, break things down and do your exercise. Rainbow's advice. We're nearing the end of the interview, but before we end it, as promised, um, Turiki's going to ask a few questions. Um, we've talked a lot about your new single and your upcoming stage show. Apart from that, you've mentioned that you're also working on a new album. Could you tell us a little bit more about it? The album is uh, basically the songs from the stage show. So if it all goes according to plan, it will come out in 2024. 
but yes, they, they will be basically the musical component of the stage show. And so, yeah, Seven Sisters is a little taste from the album from the show. And if you dig it, then yeah, come along to the shows and you'll get a little preview before the album is even out. Um, for people who want to learn more about you, where should they go to keep up to date with your latest projects and shows? You can find me on Instagram at Chunyin Rainbow Chan. You can also visit my website, which is chunyinrainbowchan.com. You can give me a little wave there and I should be able to get back to you if you've got questions. That was the song of Sunset by Anita Mui, the last song actually from her farewell concert before she died of cancer. She'd never been married, so she envisaged this concert to be her last chance to finally get married to the stage and to her fans. You're listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin. That was a story from an interview we did with Rainbow Chan a couple songs earlier, so be sure to check out the full interview wherever you stream your podcasts. And if you haven't heard or haven't been tuning along, we are doing our member mixtape this week where our various co-hosts and executive producer puts together their favorite songs of the moment and we'll play them from us to you tonight. In case you don't know me by voice, I'm Senya and by the time you're listening to this, I'll be jet-setting home to the Philippines. So I thought what better way to celebrate a return to the motherland after seven years and playing some songs by Filipino artists. Hello, my name is Tracy and you're listening to Asian Pop Nation, Sin's resident Asian music and pop culture show. As you might have heard already, this week we're doing what we call a mixtape special, where basically each of the APN team members will take it in turns to present some of our favourite tracks to you. You've already heard my voice a lot this week, so I'm going to try and keep it short. But the songs that I've picked out for you, I've picked out four of them. These are all songs that I found while trying to select songs for our Y2K special that we did last week. So the first of these is P-Model with Logic Air Force. Just to give you some background on P-Model, they were a revolving cast of musicians, active since 1979, so the city pop years, but this song that I'm going to play now, it comes from an album from 1999, which was their last proper studio album they would release before the group disbanded. The song is called Logic Air Force. I basically found this song while looking for music with spaceship sounds in it, and this is probably the most spaceship sounding song I found. It sounds like the opening theme from a space opera, maybe, or an extremely camp action show. It's just big and grand and camp, and I like it a lot. And the song I'm going to play after that is Generation Next by Aaron Kwok. And Aaron Kwok is a Hong Kong singer that Rainbow Chan was extremely fond of growing up. So I thought before the interview I should listen to some of his music and this was the song I liked the most from him. It's a song that grips you by the throat and doesn't let up until it ends. After that I'm going to be playing a couple of songs that are a bit later in the Y2K years. First of all, after the Aaron Kwok song, I'm going to be playing Xinhua's Brand New, which is an extremely good song. It has really aged really well, I think. Xinhua in general made a lot of extremely solid songs. After that, I'm going to be playing Rock Your Body by Kumi Koda, which has a similar palette to Brand New. It was also released in the same year, 2004. And it's just, it just sounds good, man. Like, it's just a song that sounds good. Nothing else to it. So I hope you enjoy the songs I've picked out for you this week. And stay tuned for Leisha, who's going to come up next with some of her picks. 
Hey everybody, you're listening to Asian Fum Nation right here on Sin. My name is Leisha, and if you're just tuning into our show right now, you may or may not know that right here, right now, we are doing our little member mixtape special, kind of as a way to celebrate the end of season three. I cannot believe that after this, we only have one more season to go, and that is like the end of APN 2023. Oh my gosh, like, Time is moving so fast, but if, again, you're just tuning in right now, you may or may not have missed some excellent music that was picked earlier by our team member Tracy, who is literally the music master here at APN, so right now I feel very underqualified <laughs> to be talking about my music picks tonight, but, you know, bear with me here. Last time when we did our member mixtape, I think this was back in season two, my theme that I kind of revolved it around was all about Twice because I recently went to the Twice concert in Melbourne and all my picks, again, revolved around songs that I wished were in the set list. This time around, I'm just picking a very, very simple theme. It is just songs that I am recently very, very obsessed with. Because to be honest, I've just been listening to a lot of Victoria Monet and just been playing the game Baldur's Gate like on repeat. But these are some Asian music that I've been playing on rotation in the middle of doing all of these things. So let me go down the list for you guys. The first song that I picked is titled What Jumka, and this is sung by Arijit Singh, Jonita Gandhi, and Ravir Singh, and this came out in 2023. It's actually from a new 2023 Hindi film called Rocky Arani Ki Prem Kahani, forgive me for my pronunciation. And if you're, you know, thinking about this title and you're also kind of like, what, what Jumka? What's a Jumka? It's basically a really popular traditional Indian earring specifically kind of like bell shaped and has like little beads in it and honestly I really want one myself every time when I go back to Malaysia I am dying to get a Jumka earring in like Brickfields but it just never happens and my ancestors are shaking their head at me I already know <laughs> but basically some of the interesting interesting information that I know about this song is you know, this kind of came out from the composer himself, the iconic Indian composer Pritam, and he said that this song particularly was actually adapted from a song titled Jumka Kirare, which was released way back in 1966, which is like crazy and insane to me that they were able to adapt a song from like the 60s into 2023 and making it into a like desi dance pop just goodness. I freaking love this song so much and the dance is just insanely catchy. I've been trying to recreate like the dance alone in my room but I suck at memorizing dance moves but I definitely recommend if you know you're tuning into APN and you're not like driving at the moment to watch the music video because it's just it's just pop perfection. I love it so much. Now, the next two songs that I have on my list, we're starting with the song titled Guess Who, which comes from the one and only Taemin, who is one of the members from Shiny, who also has a lot of his own solo stuff. The one which I'm going to be talking about specifically comes from his 2016 album, his first ever album titled Press It. 
And I don't know why, but lately I've been listening to a lot of Taemin music on repeat in the middle of the night. I don't really know what that says about me as a person, but let's not dissect that any further. Um, basically, he recently performed this song actually a month ago back in the Water Bomb Festival in Tokyo. And when I said I was crying, screaming, throwing up when I was watching those fan cams, um, it is no exaggeration because this song to me just screams very like Michael Jackson coded, but also, and I'm gonna say this very bluntly, it's a very hot song. <laughs> Like, you're just gonna have to listen to it and see what I mean. <laughs> and lastly, in my picks, this is gonna be a bit of a 180 because I think What Junka and Guess Who, these two songs are very like dance-worthy type of tracks. At least they kind of get your head bopping. But this one will have your heart aching a little bit because I picked Us Without Me by the one and only Grant Perez. And this is from his 2023 EP titled When We Were Younger. We've definitely played some songs from his EP throughout the year, but this song in particular, I've just been finding myself revisiting it a lot. I don't know why either. Um, a lot of his really popular songs, which you may know, like Clementine and Cherry Wine, I feel like they all revolve around like, you know, him exploring the themes about the joys and happiness you get from being in relationships and just love in general through really romantic lyrics that I personally can't relate to, you know, welcome to the single life, but I adore hearing. But this song specifically, I feel like explores something completely different. It's all about losing someone and having to see them with somebody else entirely. And it's basically FOMO in its most heartbreaking form ever and it just really hits and I really loved his like his version of exploring this, like a really sad scenario that I'm sure people who have been in relationships can definitely relate to and yeah I just well this song just really hits and I'm sorry for y'all if you listen to my two other picks and then you get to this one and you're like crying sobbing in the background but oopsies <laughs> but yeah these are my picks right here on Asian Pop Nation. I hope you guys enjoy. You know, let us know what you think on our social medias. Hi, this is Daruki and previously you heard Nisha on Asian Pop Nation. Today we're going to talk about BTS World. So any armies out there or any new, you know, BTS stands, you know, everyone who loves BTS and has stand them. You guys know the game of BTS World. And unfortunately, six you know days ago, we had received the sad news of that BTS World will be discontinued by the end of December, specifically 26th of December 2023. And this will be the second game that will be discontinued. There is a statement that's been shared on BTS's World Official Forum. It's going to be no longer downloadable from either Apple, um, you know, like the App Store for Apple or even like Play Store for Android users. So I'm going to give you like a small read of what the message was. Um, it says, hello, this is the BTS World Manager. Thank you for your love and support for BTS World. This announcement is to inform that BTS World will no longer be in service or will be discontinued starting the Tuesday, December 26th of 2023. We really appreciate your love and support for BTS World and we 
we'll do our best to minimize your inconvenience until the end of the service day. I was saddened because this is a game that I remember and I think this is the only game that I've ever played for, you know, like considering like BTS like games and like any games for K-pop, I've only played BTS. BTS World is an amazing game. So, um, like the final chapter of the game was released on June the 2nd, 2022. So, a little over a year ago. Um, chapter 22 specifically. So there's obviously means that there's no updates on it. And apparently fans have been asking from the game company to release an archive of the content that BTS has filmed or recorded specifically for the game. So, um, especially for the users who have not played the game completely so that, you know, they could have an idea of what how the game ends. I would love to still continue playing it, but obviously I don't know the reason why they fully closed it, but I mean like I still love playing the game. Jesse from APN also mentioned like, you know, every game like we truly find the most enjoyable gets shut down. Like I've seen like a lot of things are getting de- not deleted but shut down. Like why would you want to like, delete something that would, um, create happiness for someone, so for me, like, BTS Island has created so much memories and, like, happiness, it shattered my heart, I'm like, what am I gonna do in my spare time, like, BTS Island, BTS World was a game that I was gonna, like, play forever, I thought it was gonna be, like, forever, I'm gonna play this, like, you know, what am I gonna play now, like, i don't want to go to any other games because I'm like I'm not familiar with the games or like the games are something that I'm interested in now I want to hear your guys's you know experience your opinions on BTS Island and BTS World so I want to play a song from the BTS game so um so specifically the song is produced by Sugar of BTS and the song is called our island and hopefully everyone likes the song and hopefully everyone will enjoy it thanks for listening this is asian pop nation right here on sin we are going out with a bang for our last episode of season three by coming back with our much beloved member mixtape you guys heard the finest tracks handpicked by some of our apn members including xenia tracy alicia Theruki, and of course myself uh, Tracy and Taruki also conducted an amazing interview with the insanely talented Asian-Australian artist Rainbow Chan. If you guys are interested in her upcoming album and theatrical debut, definitely make sure to go check out her socials and anywhere that you may find her. Um, as I mentioned, this is the last episode of Season 3. Uh, so after this show, we'll be taking a one-week break and we will be back on the 26th of September. So definitely mark that down stay tuned for then but before we let you guys go off we will be playing a few more songs for you guys starting with the one song that i picked by myself obviously um and this song is called bokura dake no shudaika which can be roughly translated to a theme song only for us and it is by the japanese band center millimental this song is um actually a track from the given movie and if you guys have not watched Given, the anime, or Given, the movie, uh, what are you doing? Please do. 
um i this this song was actually in like 2020 this song was actually released in 2020 and recently it's kind of come back to haunt me on my spotify recommended so i have had this song stuck in my head and um i am currently a little bit obsessed with it so what better way to uh share the joy than by playing it and hopefully making you guys um obsessed with the song and making it stuck in your head but yeah without further ado here is Bokura Dake no Shudaika by Sentimental once again thank you for tuning in to Asian Pop Nation on Sin and we will see you next time on season four